Hello and welcome to Thriving in Intersectionality, a podcast created to help you learn from professionals in the workplace who have multiple intersectional identities, from ethnic minorities, veterans transitioning into the workforce, individuals with disabilities, parents, and so many more. My name is Lola Adeyemo. I am the CEO of EQI Mindset and the founder of the nonprofit Immigrants Incorporate Inc. I work with organizations to build inclusive workplaces. This podcast was built to amplify the voices of leaders and immigrants in the corporate workplace and to give insights and guidance so people can move past their barriers and advance in their professional careers. Through interviews and solo episodes, I'm going to examine this global world of work. I know that you can learn a thing or two from my guests who have a range of experiences and stories to share. Join me as we meet new people who are successfully navigating the corporate space. Hello and welcome to the Thriving in Intersectionality podcast. My guest today is Menakshi Hire. She thrives at the intersection of people, process, and technology. She's a T-shaped leader and a community builder with 25-year career portfolio that spans IT, agile business process transformation, international healthcare, HR, and training in both India and the USA. Her motto is stop, breathe, think, and act. After years of working in tech and health tech sector, she now serves as a leadership coach for tech professionals, women in tech, and for those who speak English as an additional language. As an ICF certified personal agility, change, and self-leadership coach, Menakshi supports mid-career technology leaders to shift from transactional to transformational leadership. She founded Northstar Solutions and Services in August of 2019 as a virtual coaching, training, and consulting practice serving individuals and businesses globally. Minashik speaks four languages and has lived and worked in 10 cities in India and the U.S. Notable annual events hosted by her includes the annual Future of Work virtual conference. I'm looking forward to sharing my conversation with Minakshi with you all. Thank you. Are you a corporate professional who is an immigrant or a child of immigrant? Are you looking for a community of support to advance your corporate career? Immigrants Incorporate, IIC, is a nonprofit that is building a community for you. Come and join us on Facebook. The Facebook group is Immigrants Incorporate belong and thrive in the workplace. See you there. Hello and welcome to Thriving in Intersectionality podcast. I am looking forward to having the next conversation with Minakshi Haya. Hi Minakshi, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Lola. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. All right. We talked about names before we even got started recording this. So I wanted to make sure that you pronounce your first and your last name for us quickly. Uh, absolutely. My first name is pronounced Meenakshi. Meenakshi. 
Ayachi. Mm -hmm. And my last name is pronounced Ayer. Ayer. Well, nice to meet you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for uh, connecting. And let's get right down to it. So the first question, um, I want to get to know you. I want my audience to get to know you. What's your immigrant story? Um, as much of your childhood as you want to talk about, you know, I've got to travel to different places with my <laughs> guests. <laughs> I like to live dangerously through you. Um, there are a lot of countries that I want to go to now because I've had guests from all those uh, beautiful places that yeah. um, a lot of the information and the background that people have about other countries, unfortunately, sometimes is really limited to the media. And, and and so part of my goal with these conversations is to make sure that if I have guests, not all my guests are from different countries, but if I have guests that are from a different country, I want to learn um, about you and your background. So tell us about your your story, your background and your immigrant story. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the invitation, Lola. And, uh, you know, I have to say that I've heard your TED Talk and I've heard uh, a few of your other podcast episodes. and. I absolutely love what you're doing. And for me, it's it's so special and important that you're really talking about intersectionality. And, and, I, and I want to get to that la later in our conversation as well. So uh, my, I'm, I'm originally from India, from the southern part of India. Uh, but I grew up, my first, I, I want to say, 12, 13 years of my life were spent in the northern part of the country. My dad's job was transferable so he, you know we moved quite a bit um, and so what that meant was wherever I lived I was always the proverbial outsider uh, so I, I you know I, I didn't speak the local language as well or my my name stood out or I look different so this is something I've experienced all through my life um, even in India and so um you know, and I speak different languages. I speak my own language, which is Tamil. I speak a little bit of Malayalam because uh, of the location of our where our, my parents' hometown is located, where we come from originally. And I speak Hindi. And uh, my husband's from the western part of the country, and his family speak uh, Marathi. And I understand a lot of it, and I can I can speak some, but I understand close to 85 percent of it. Wow. Uh, and then I took French when I was in school for four years so I can read, write and understand. And so it's uh, it's been such a you know rich experience for me growing up. And I, I think that growing up, it was a lot of um, um, it was a burden to carry, to be honest, because I always had to explain myself, like why I was where I was, because I wasn't from there originally. And so explaining that, I think I spent a large part of my childhood um, and also a, a big part of my adult life in, in India doing that. Nice. And, and I think that, uh, and, and you know, I'll come to that. I want to put a pin in that because that has really shaped a lot of what I do currently and my experience here as an immigrant as well. And um, so I moved here 15 years ago now as an accompanying spouse. Uh, so my husband's job, they transferred him. Um, and so it was, for me, it was totally unplanned. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it, there was nothing aspirational about the moving to the U.S. Um, you know, I was carrying on. I had a full-time job. Uh, and, I, I, you know, everything was... 
uh, I was living my uh, normal middle class life. You know, I had no no plans of leaving the country. But then this happened, and I, and I did, I did move here. And uh, what was interesting to me was uh, when I moved here. That was January of two thousand and eight. Uh, so Barack Obama had been sworn in. Uh, I think a week. I I came here a week after the inauguration. It was a totally different time, and I remember following the elections uh, from India. I actually sat up and watched the election results being announced, and a little bit of his address at Grand Park, and all of that. And um, there was a lot of uh, because English is one of the languages that I speak. Um, I think the access to information and access to media and understanding a little bit about the American culture and space was uh, available to me because mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. So when I first moved here, I language was not so much of a barrier. I wouldn't say it wasn't at all <laughs> because I do have a different accent uh, and uh, I, I still follow British spellings. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so those things did matter. But I think being able to speak English, read, write, understand, and speak English was definitely a big advantage, a big privilege that I came with to the U.S., uh, particularly as an immigrant. And uh, so that's my immigrant story, really. I mean, there's nothing dramatic about it. I, I you know, my husband was, his job brought him here. And uh, despite that, we still decided to stay together. <laughs> and so I, I kind of accompanied him. Uh, and I don't want to make. But I think something that you kind of glossed over too that that we should highlight because you know sometimes I have guests that came here on a student visa on mm. a work visa is you were already working. Back oh yeah, yeah. I was ten years into my career there. Exactly. And what was so, your career background? Uh, so I worked in um, in HR. I have been trained English as a second language teacher. Uh, so I did a lot of corporate training, uh, particularly for adult learners, particularly in the technology space. And I worked in, in the technology services space. And my my career really started in the healthcare space in India. Right out of college, I started working at a local eye hospital in there uh, as a patient administrator, as a hospital administrator. Um, and this was 25 years ago. And we had the concept of what is in the U.S. referred to as patient navigators. We had this concept and we used to call it patient counseling. And it still is a thing as part of the healthcare experience in India. Is So every every single patient that met, so this was an eye hospital and we ran the region's only eye bank back in the day. Um, and so we had all kinds of patients that came in, very you know simple eye appointments all the way to trauma and surgeries and whatnot. And... Every single patient would meet with one of us counselors, and we actually walked them through what was their um, progno- uh, what was their diagnosis, what was their prognosis, what was their treatment plan, how much would it cost, what were their options. So when they left, uh, doctors are so busy, and you know we had a large traffic of patients coming in, but at least they had someone like us to talk to. And so that that's where I started my career. So I've always been in in the people business, if you will, okay. one way, shape, or form. And uh, and then I'm also a um, I have a sort of like a dual degree. My undergrad is in physics, and then I also studied uh, uh, programming. 
See, this, uh, is, this is why I didn't want you to gloss over your background, right? You just <laughs> talked about you are 10 years into your career because I think there's a lot of lesson to even learn about, you know, you went to school, you, you got your degree in physics. Yes. That's huge. <laughs> That's tough, you know. How is that like back in India, like growing up with a, a STEM degree? Oh, base? you know, so this is interesting that you ask me. So my, my parents and especially my mother, uh, she was married off when she was in her teens and it was a, it was an arranged marriage. And so for her, she always wanted to study, uh, be financially independent, and she was allowed to do none of those. And so for her, education was so important that I have an older brother, uh, him and I, we, we were, uh, we faced no discrimination at home when it came to opportunities. I may have had certain different sets of rules in terms of social and, um, you know, social uh, norms. Mm -hmm. But when it came to opportunity, we had we had the exact same. Uh, uh, our parents have the exact same things to both of us and we could do whatever we wanted to do. And and we had to. So college was not an option. You finished school, you went to college, they paid for it. Uh, so that was the other thing. It's a, it was affordable back in the day. Things have changed dramatically these days. So I, my, my parents paid for my tuition and also for my additional diploma that I did in, in programming. They paid for all of it. Um, but going to college was not an option. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I mean, it was not, you, you couldn't consider it. It was, you right. had to do it. It's expected. You, yes, you yes. Not school. going to college was not an option. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So I never knew that you could, oh, after school, you could think about whether I want to go to college or not. I mean, you just went, you know, it was like extended school. <laughs> uh, and as far as thinking about, oh, whether it's a STEM degree or not, or whether I could study computer science. So I've been studying, I started working with the computers in grade seven. Okay. So I, you know, I've not known, um, I've not faced any challenges in saying or in somebody telling me what I could do or what I couldn't. I also know that that, that in itself is a privilege. There were families and I know my contemporaries, other kids that went to school, I went to school with, they had some restrictions on what they could do and what they couldn't and uh, when they should get married and what they could do after that and things like that. So I know that I, when I look back now, I know that that was a huge privilege that I had. Uh, we didn't have a lot, you know, we, we, we were probably like lower middle class, but we, education was like the big thing in our family and, and both our parents supported that. And I think my mother was my biggest advocate on that because I remember her telling me, you, you finish school, you go to college, you get a degree, you get a job, and then I'm out of your life. <laughs> So those were the things that I had to do. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. so how did you choose physics? Uh, funny story. I uh, At the time, I wanted to do my master's in computer applications. So MCA was a degree, but I think it still is a thing in India. Uh, and and uh, I heard from somewhere that doing physics was the best way to get to your MCA. Mm. So that's why I chose physics. Okay. Um <laughs> would I advise that that pathway to anyone? Probably not. I never ended up doing masters there. I instead chose to do um, masters in business administration uh, through a, like a long distance program. Okay. 
which I didn't finish. I ultimately finished my MBA here in the US as an executive MBA. So that took like a good, you know, 10, 15 years to finish. But that's the reason I chose physics. And um, in in high school, I had taken, um, I knew I didn't want to be a doctor. (laughs) I understand that. (laughs) Yes. I'm like, I'm not dissecting anything, any living (laughs) beings. (laughs) And I'm a vegetarian. No, you're speaking to somebody that gets that. So I, you know, I, I was also privileged, similar to you, that my parents kind of, you know, opened. My dad was a professor. So back in Nigeria, it was like, going to college is not negotiable. Correct. You don't even think you have any option but to go to college, right? So um, I went to, I studied biochemistry with the goal of going to medical school. Mm. And then along the way, I realized, no, I I can't even stand my own blood. I don't think (laughs) I want to be looking at other people's blood. uh, Oh, it's funny you say that. So right out of college when I landed up in a hospital, uh, with uh, you know, my job in a hospital, my mom asked me, she's like, are you sure you want to do this? I said, mom, this is an eye hospital. They may, I don't oh. think they do trauma. So this is okay. Oh. But yeah, yeah. No, but, I, I, but I, I always think it is nice to have parental guidance. If you have that privilege, um, some people know what they want to be. They know what they want to do right out the door, right? Like, yeah. That's yeah. when it gets to be really a so, struggle. So, so that's the thing, right? I had parental guidance in terms of the fact that, okay, you have to go to college and we'll support mm-hmm. you. But but my brother and I are first-generation college students. Ah. Uh, so, uh, and my brother was in, you know, he did commerce. He, he did the equivalent of this, of a CPA. So he's a chartered accountant. His path was totally different. Yeah. So, but I knew I watched him finish high school, go to college, complete his master's degree and then do this uh, professional program, you know, and, and he, he's, he'd slog through it for several years. So I saw the rigor, but I didn't have guidance at home. So I had to make all these decisions. And, you know, I'm just thinking about, I'd never thought about this until now. I made these decisions. And um, at one point I wanted to go to engineering school. So right after high school, I had paid my, I still remember this, I paid my fees, well, my parents paid for me to go to these um, additional classes that will help you with the entrance examination, equivalent to SAT. We had things in in India, we still have. And I don't think I even started those classes. And I said, I don't think I'm going to do this. I'm just going to do my regular uh, college program. I'm not going to go, go for an engineering degree. And my parents were okay with it, but it was a lot of money, you know, for them to have wasted right. on the uh, coaching program, which I never went to. Yeah. Uh, so it's only now, as you pointed that out, I'm thinking back, you know, those are some of the earliest decisions I remember making. Yeah, exactly. And and sometimes that's why this, this kind of conversations are good, because sometimes mm. we have people that are overthinking <laughs> college degree i mean i still i i follow conversations on social media where people are arguing about degrees are not important certifications are not important i was like well as an immigrant i think anything that puts you that gives you an advantage is good yes if you can get a certification if you can get a degree fine you don't you just don't want to make the mistake of thinking because i have this degree my career is all set for life yes this is true (laughs) absolutely you said it very well Yeah. yeah So, well, that was a long time spent on the immigrant story, but <laughs> I 
love that we talked about that because I think it's important um, and there's a lot to learn from from that, from the journey too. And then all the changes that comes after that will become even more applicable, right? <laughs> so true. So um, let's talk about corporate America because mm-hmm. now you are based in the U.S. So how was that transition uh, of your career from India to the U.S.? Yeah, yeah. So um, when I first moved here, I was on a spouse visa and uh, that didn't allow me to work. It didn't allow me to study. Uh, it just basically allowed me to be here legally. And that's about it. Uh, yeah, I couldn't do much. A little bit of context on that for those listening. So this is when somebody else gets F1, in this case, your husband. So he had an H1. He had an H1. So he had a work permit and okay. I was on. That's right. That's right. So he was on a work permit and I, I came on a spouse visa. Okay. Uh, which meant that. So in those days, it was I think it's still called an H4. But then some rules have changed now. This was. 2008 and at the time uh, you you couldn't get work permits on this visa for yourself uh, as an individual so yeah so you couldn't you could apply to schools here and get that converted to a student visa but then you know that's a whole you have to go through so many steps and it's expensive and we were on a single income at the time and and you know we were a blended family so um, my my stepson was with us and so it was a lot going on for us um and in hindsight, it was all wonderful that the, the way it happened because I was at home and I was able to focus uh, on on setting us up as a family here. He was he was just starting. He was in the last year of middle school. So he was in eighth grade at the time. And so I was able you to mean, focus. You mean your child, not your Yes, husband. my stepson. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Not my husband. No. <laughs> So, uh, you know, it, it gave us uh, that opportunity because I was at home, uh, all of that. And uh, eventually I did get around to uh, uh, getting a work permit and I was able to uh, start looking for jobs. Uh, but I had no uh, professional network here. And, uh, and I have a theory that even if my resume, if I sent it out, um, if, if you know with a foreign sounding name i don't think i stood much much of a chance to get a call and uh, and and that's my theory and i i'm pretty sure that that was the case i mean i agree <laughs> <laughs> that's my theory too um yes. and I, I i think that's you know that's the first thing people see about your resume and and we've had a lot of research that we've seen in yes. recently in the last couple of years uh, where people have taken the same exact resume, just changed the name. Yes. And there's a different response. So Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I used to half joke and say, you know, maybe I'm going to change my first name to Michelle or something. I don't know. <laughs> We've, yeah, we had people that did that experiment. Um, you know, I know people can kind of say, oh, you know, it's not really that. It's just a job market. But um, when we sense these things, we know what's going on. Um, absolutely, absolutely. And, and again, there's a lot of context to that, right? Around qualification, around even the process in the workplace of filing. Not every company understands the process of filing. Not everybody wants to deal with it. Yes, um, yes. I, I, personally, I didn't end up needing sponsorship, even yeah. though I came as a student, uh, because my husband is a citizen. Hmm. So I got my work permit through marriage but you don't get to explain that to an employer um, this is true and, the, uh, the resume 
and your absolutely colleagues. and this is where i learned to put these things in my in the top you know uh in the header exactly. to say don't need uh, sponsorship uh, can work for any employer these are these are and i felt very foolish putting all this right. uh, in my resume but i had to and i thought you know let people know that yes this is a foreign sounding name does not mean sponsorship no, so yeah, can you talk like, don't you worry know? i don't need i don't need you to to sponsor my visa i have a work visa yes, um, yes. which, which it, by itself is very sad because what yes. happens to people that really need a uh, visa yes. right um yes. because you you bring people in as students and you take so much money for tuition for international student tuition and then you want them to come into the workplace with yes. minimal pay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So my first job, my first paying job in the U.S. was that uh, working as a barista in a coffee shop. I did that for about six to eight months. That was uh, through somebody uh, within the Indian community who ran a coffee shop, who needed someone. And that's how... And, you know, because my thing is, I didn't used to drive. I never had to drive in India. So that wasn't something else I had to learn here. Um, and so uh, while I was still figuring that out, because that also needed your um, your visa paperwork, et cetera, to get your driver's license, it was a whole thing. So uh, I used to joke that my stepson would get his license before I did. Did <laughs> he? No. I mean, it could happen. <laughs> I know. That's what he would say, especially when he saw me learning to drive. Anyway, so um, what I did was I said, okay, what can I find that's walking distance where I could actually walk to work? And the coffee shop thing happened, and I said, I'll take it. It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm getting out of the house, and uh, it, I'm making some money. Making money wasn't as important as, you know, feeling um, like accomplished in my own sense. Okay. Yes, you yeah. know. So yeah. I did that. So I would walk to this coffee shop and uh, and that's when I realized, oh, there aren't any sidewalks. Sidewalks aren't uh, available everywhere. Yeah, because nobody so, walks. People drive everywhere. <laughs> correct. And then so I would then I also realized that uh, I'm looked at suspiciously when I'm seen walking down the street. And and that true coffee shop, you had these shifts, right? So sometimes I'd be right. walking to the shop at 6 a.m. Right. Uh, so... I didn't experience anything, but I could feel like I've, I was being looked at, you know, yeah. when I, as I was walking. Yeah, uh, behaviors and the things you're doing is standing out because that's not the norm. Yes, the exactly, place. exactly. What part and, of the U.S. were you? Uh, um, I, I've always lived in Virginia. Virginia, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'm in the northern part of Virginia now. Earlier, we used to live in Richmond. Okay. Um, so, uh, uh, and then one thing led to another and, uh, I came to know that there was going to be a job fair near where I lived, uh, at the local high school. Um, uh, and I said, Oh, this is like literally in my backyard. I need to go figure this out, but I had never been to a job fair. I don't know how to, I, I had no idea how to work the fair or do what am I supposed to do? Uh, and, uh, it was so happenstance that let's just say, I just found this person who was this, served me as an on-the-spot, on-demand mentor, walked me through this whole step, a process of what to do. Mm-hmm. And I had a day within which I could prepare, ran to the library, and my husband had to do all the driving because I still didn't drive. Um, ran to the library, got printouts of my resume, did some research overnight, and you know, off I went to the job fair. And I, and I did get my first 
full-time corporate job from the job fair. And I went back to healthcare and that's how I start. You know, I went back to where I started from and uh, it actually was a medical emergency medical assistance uh, coordination center. And I was hired for my language skills from India. They needed a, uh, because this was for international travelers. Okay. So they were looking for people from different parts of the world and language skills was the main thing that got me in. Wow. So I did that for about, so it was, my friends in India found it hilarious that I moved to the US and I started working in a contact center. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but but I, I mean, I love just hearing you talk about the different steps that you had to take and the thought process behind it. Like, I'm just going to do what next. I'm just going to do what's next. Yes. And then I'm going to, you know, stay home and take care of my child. I'm going to take this job to get out of the house. I'm going to go to this career fair. And and here you are <laughs> um, with all of the experiences. So you've, you've already kind of talked about these, but um, when you think about your background, you know, your cultural background and, and your journey and the getting to settle into mm-hmm. the workplace here, what are some of the ways that you've seen um, the things that you've brought with you, the things mm-hmm. that you learn helped you in your day job? Yeah, so, uh, you know, growing up in India and living in different parts of in, within within the country in India and, uh, uh, you know, anyone that's familiar with India will know that if you, if you cross state lines, you're in a totally different, you know, it's totally different language, different culture. It's, it's all getting homogenized to a large extent, uh, not something I'm very happy about personally, but Anyway, the point is that there's so much diversity uh, all around us that um, I think that uh, you get used to it, right? And nothing phases you and you, you're not surprised or shocked by uh, many things, I would say. And I think that for me personally, uh, I've always had to make space for myself or find spaces that worked for me. And so that gave made me uh, resilient. It it, uh, it just sharpened my sense of grit, um, and it also I think um, made me quite courageous. I would say. And so um, how the, that's helped me here in the U.S. is I would give any, and I've said this before, anything legal I would give it a try at least once. <laughs> You know, so I think I can come with that sort of open mindedness and I want to explore and see and I'm going to test it out and see whether it's going to work for me or not. Yeah. Um, and and so that personally for me, it's it's a lot about networking. I, I would I'm not shy about having conversations with people and it also sharpened my sense of curiosity. So I would ask really meaningful questions of people to understand, uh, to get to what I'm really looking for. Okay. You know, but do it in a very respectful manner. And I think over the last four or five years, uh, as I've transitioned into being self-employed, uh, one of the things I've really reclaimed is my cultural identity. I don't shy away from it anymore. And I've derived a lot of strength from that, from connecting back with my cultural roots um, and not feeling apologetic about it. Mm. anymore because I think for the large part of my career I have tried to fit into a predominantly English-speaking western environment so the way I used, I used to dress up dress 
uh, I would I stopped I had stopped wearing my bindi for for a longest time because of my own made up rule that oh that doesn't go with Western outfits. Mm-hmm. Uh, who asked me that? Who told me that I could only wear Western outfits at work? I don't know. Who told me that even if I wore Western outfits, I couldn't wear my bindi? I don't know. Nobody has actually told me those rules, but I made those up because I was looking around me and those right. are the models that I saw, and that's what I did. Uh, and I, when I first came here, I thought I had to make it easier on people to help them pronounce my name. So I, I shortened my name. And even that wasn't, you know, it didn't lead me to much success. People were still not able to pronounce the shorter version of my name. So I just gave up. So I think uh, four years ago, I had this point where I said, okay, I think I've had enough. And I really, I think I'm, I've become this person that, yes, I know who I am, but to a large part, I've given up a lot to fit in. And I think I'm going to stop doing that. Uh, so I even changed my, like, I used to have my short, uh, the my abbreviated name in parentheses on, on LinkedIn. I took that out. I went back to my full name. And when LinkedIn came out with this feature, I added a recording of my pronunciation. pronunciation. So I now take the time to teach people how to pronounce my name. Yes. So the point is, all of that courage, grit, and resilience, I think, is what my whole experience has taught me. And that's what I've come with now. That's amazing. And you just also got me thinking. So... Um, because I'm also in that space now and I've had to go through these and I just wonder, do you think it's, it's like a rite of passage? <laughs> do you think it's something we all need to go through where we try to fit in before we figure out that we don't need to fit in? Or, I mean, I feel, I feel like having this conversation to hopefully help somebody yes. who's still struggling and stressing out so much, uh, about that fitting in culture, because when yes. you see more people like you, speaking up, sharing their experiences, um, almost giving us permission. Yes, yes. Not that, I, that we have to hide, right? Absolutely. And uh, you bring up a great point, and that made me think, Lola, that um, 15, 20 years ago, uh, these aspects of inclusion, belonging, uh, and equity were not big conversations in the workplace at all. You know, the fact that you are a woman and you are still able to work was like something you had to be feel grateful for. Or my family allowed me to go out and work right outside the house. Um, And there are so many challenges that you have to uh, go through in order to get to that point. So I when I look back, I think I um, there were times when I had to just I think I've, I've spent a lot of time just feeling grateful that I'm able to do what I'm able to do right now but I think over a so to your point I'm really hoping that these kind of conversations will help people to not have to go through all that pain and agony Um, however there's a part of it I think that's also part of your lived experience the going through this is what shapes you to get to where you need to be so I'm not going to say that yes we can all have shortcuts but I think the one thing I will say is that I wish I had done it sooner is retaining the pride in my own culture and in, in how, I, like, how I dress up, my following my rituals. I wish I had uh, stuck to those uh, you know, uh, earlier. Yeah. I'd started earlier. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I think we'll kind of go into the final section of mm-hmm. questioning, which is really your insights. Um, I know you've gone through career transitions. You've kind of made a lot of changes um, recently. But if you were talking to an audience of international students who are maybe in grad school right now, who are going planning to come into the corporate workplace, um, you're talking to young professionals, mm-hmm. middle managers who are thinking of how do I advance in the workplace as an immigrant? Is there even a space for me there? Mm-hmm. Or let's talk about intersectionality second, because I know that that in itself is a whole it's different conversation, <laughs> right? And I know you have some a lot to share there. So let's talk about first, if you're speaking to these audience, based on your journey and your experience, um, what will be some... Um, two or three important things that you want to highlight uh, for them to advance their career? Absolutely. Number one is come from a position of strength. Uh, Have a clear understanding of who you are, what you bring to the table. You bring a lot of value to the table and, and be very clear in that. And the fact that you are here is a matter of pride and accomplishment. So starting from a position of strength, um, and staying rooted in your own culture and in the ancient wisdom of your culture. Um, the second thing I would say is retaining curiosity and reaching out to people, uh, do informational interviews. So look around. If you're, if you're already in a, in, in a working in a corporate environment, look around and identify roles and people that speak to you, that, that resonate with you. Reach out to them for a 15, 30-minute conversation. Do the homework, show up, and focus on building that relationship. Give before you get. Mm-hmm. And being open about it. And I will also say this. You don't have to be this gregarious, extroverted individual to be successful at this. You can be quiet. You can be introverted. But you can still do this in your own way. So building on that one-on-one relationship uh, through um uh, informational interviews and seek out mentors yeah uh, build your relationships and build your strong network make sure that you people know and that will be my third point is self promotion you are your best spokesperson yes right and if you don't tell your story somebody else will and they may not have all the facts right so telling your story And the last thing I will say, because I particularly focus on working with people who, like me, speak English as an additional language. English is just a language. It's not the measure of your intelligence. And so uh, there is nothing to be afraid of. And, you know, I remember having this conversation with a coaching client and they were like, you know, my English is not up to mark. I said, can you imagine so-and-so? They were talking about another team member. I said, can you imagine so-and-so? giving their whole business presentation in Hindi or in French. And they, they laughed and they had this realization. So if you, you're really brave if you speak more than one language. Exactly. Right? And, and that your, your brain is wired differently and you're so much more creative and so much more capable of doing uh, so many more things than someone who speaks just one language. And so that's a strength. Uh, so let let that not be a barrier. Your language skills are just a medium in which you communicate your ideas. But who you are as a person and what you bring to the table is worth way more than that. So that would be that would be my four things. Thank you. I mean, I feel like 
the four things you just mentioned are like topics by themselves <laughs> because there's so many loaded content after you said each one. I mean, I found myself, my brain just spinning. It's like each of these is a topic by itself. So, I mean, for those listening, I would just say, um, yeah, dig into these. If there's one of these that you can walk away with. And um, when you talked about asking for 15 minutes, I was thinking the same thing for those that maybe that scares you. Or the whole idea of mentoring sounds like this overwhelming yes. to some people who say, oh, I'm an introvert. I can't reach out. Can I chat with you for 15 minutes? Then do your homework. Why did you pick this person? Yes. Yeah, two questions that you have for them. Absolutely. And that's it. That's mentoring right there. It doesn't yep. have to be this drawn out six month, you know, meeting with somebody. Because some, some people, you are not a fit enough to have that relationship. Absolutely. Um, so you, but you can learn, you can always learn something from everybody, um, to, to help you with your career journey. So thank you so much for, for sharing those, those things and, Absolutely. and for the work you're doing. So what do you currently do right now? Um, I serve as the founder and principal of North Star Solutions and Services. That is my practice, my business, and, uh, we are a boutique future of work oriented virtual coaching, training, and consulting practice. And uh, I myself serve as a personal agility, self-leadership and change leadership coach. And I specialize in partnering with mid-career technology leaders, women in technology and folks like myself who speak English as an additional language. Uh, I help them work on their people and change leadership journey. So I help them connect the dots between people, process and technology and really become successful at that intersection. That's awesome. I mean, English as your fourth or fifth language. <laughs> exactly. So I do want to say this, you know, I um, I used to always say ESL because that's a thing and it's a it's a whole industry. Who who is to decide what comes first and what comes second? So I right. struggled with it quite a bit. And I used to say ESL. I still say ESL because I'm a trained ESL teacher and I'm thinking of rephrasing that. But uh, when I started thinking about who I work with and I said, oh, yeah, if you speak, if you speak English as a second language, and then I started thinking, I well, English is like, I don't know, one, two, three, third or fourth language for me. So then I coined this way of saying and I say English as an additional language. Nobody's ranking it. Language. Who yeah. cares? Yeah. You speak many languages. English is one of them. English is one of them. So yeah. I made that switch very intentionally and I stopped saying if you're, oh, the other thing I used to say also was non-native speakers of English, then I'm still othering, right? Yes. You're still so, centering like English is the primary standard Yes. for language, which it's not, the, you know, that's not quite true. Exactly. So it was, it was very powerful for me to do that, make that shift. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, so I usually end with a final fun question. Okay. <laughs> and I'm curious about your response to this one, especially with growing up uh, different locations and food. So feel free to share two or three if you need to. <laughs> but if you were to share a food, a snack, a meal, uh -huh. something with your coworkers, so specifically work, work uh... food, what would you share and why? Why was the significance of that? Oh, my goodness. So I think the first thing that comes to mind is a snack, which is, uh, uh, which is from my childhood days and something I grew up in. It's not part of my culture, 
but that's where i grew up and it's called depending on where you are in india it's called golgappa or pani puri or puchka and all mean the same thing they are these little fried uh, dough i don't know dough balls and you you know you you put you fill it with uh, potatoes and peas and a lot of other okay. things and then there's spicy water that goes with it and you have to eat the whole thing one one shot ah <laughs> so that's okay. the one part <laughs> and the other thing is uh, something i grew up with and it's called a dosa which is a very which is a very typical south indian snack uh, it's made with lentils and rice and you make it like the french crepe right okay. so you make it like that on a pan you spread it on the pan and you it's it's crispy but it's savory uh and you have it with uh, all kinds of chutneys or sambar which is a lentil stew So those are the two things that come to mind. One from the north and one from the south. From the south, India. exactly. You split it evenly. Yes. <laughs> That's why I gave you permission to go more than one because I could, <laughs> I could sense that coming. <laughs> um, it was so nice chatting with you. I, 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 I know there's, there's a lot packed into this conversation that we had that you couldn't dive into. And for those listening, you know, I'm going to be sharing Vinakshi's um, social channels and and locations that you can get more information but i appreciate your time so much it was nice meeting you and congratulations on all of your success and and at work thank, thank you. you thank you so much lola bye bye thank you for joining me lola ademo for these important conversations about the global world of work Please rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to share our weekly episodes with your communities and co-workers. For more resources and upcoming events, visit our website www.thrivinginintersectionality.com and join our LinkedIn group Thriving in Intersectionality. Additional links and resources are listed in the show notes of this episode. Thank you.